Our sermon text for this second Sunday in Lent is from Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 1. And I'd encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along and, and uh, have it open while I'm preaching as I walk through this passage. Uh, you'll find uh, the uh, Romans chapter 5 on page uh, 1119, page 1119 in the Pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own. And I'd also encourage you to grab <clears throat> the, your bulletin, the back of it, which uh, lists an outline and also the scriptures I'll be using there. And sometimes that's, that's good to have uh, so I don't lose you as we walk through this ser- uh, sermon. Uh, Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, I read in Jesus' name. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ and our faith in him, we have been reconciled to you. Show us, Lord, in in this time, how you accomplished that for us and what the effects of that are in our own lives. And so be our teacher this morning and lead us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing this message, I I realized that I've spent the majority of my life leading others, Um, whether it's a pastor, uh, what a great joy to lead another person to faith in Jesus Christ. While I was in college, I worked for the city of Bellingham, the recreation department, and I led uh, elementary school children on backpack trips into the wilderness. That's quite a a responsibility. Uh, I've led many people 
on climbs to the top of, of many uh, northwest peaks here. And uh, as I, I, I'm so grateful and I have received so much joy in, in seeing others accomplish something that they could not do on their own. But I had the privilege using the skills and ability that God has given me to lead them uh, to uh, accomplish or to lead them to something that they would not have on their own. Now, during this season of Lent, we are on a journey, a sojourn to the cross and beyond to the resurrection. As we travel, we're not looking to me to lead you on this journey. We're looking to the Lord to lead us on this journey. Our theme for this Lenten journey comes from Psalm 25, verse 5, which was our psalm for last week, where David prays, lead me in your truth. And so we're asking the Lord to lead us in his truth. And today we ask the Lord, lead me in your truth through weakness to reconciliation. Everyone begins their journey to the cross in weakness. We all begin in a state of utter helplessness and alienation from God. And and so we will start our study today, not at verse 1, but start with verse 6, verses 6 to 10, because there we see our condition apart from Christ. We see our utter helplessness, our condition apart from Christ. Now, when you arrive by ambulance to an emergency room, and I hope none of you have had to do that, but if you have, you know that the medical staff first evaluates you to determine your condition. Well, spiritually, without Jesus Christ, our condition is critical. It's critical. We are told in verse 6 that we were weak, so weak that we were helpless to do anything to save ourselves. I had a, a young woman that lived across the street from us when we were at her church in, in uh, Ottawa, Illinois, and she began attending uh, through a, a series of relationships, began to attend our church, and, and she asked to see me one day, and she said, you know, this Christian life, it, it, it's really hard. She had not grown up, you know, in a Christian home. This was all very new to her. This Christian life, she said, is, is, is just very hard. And I looked at her and I said, no, it's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. And it is only as we put our faith in Jesus, as we come to uh, receive him as our Savior and Lord, that he gives us the power to live this life. No, we can't do it in our own strength. We are weak. We are helpless to live this life. Um, This verse, verse 6, also says that we were ungodly. The ungodly are those who disregard and break God's law. 
trying to live without God. Verse 8 tells us that we were sinners, those who have fallen short of God's glory because we were in rebellion against God and against God's law. Verse 8 tells us that we, excuse me, uh, and because we were ungodly sinners, there was nothing good in us that merited any standing with God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12, Paul reiterates this, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's our condition without Christ. Verse 10 states that we were in fact God's enemies in desperate need to be reconciled to him. In Romans 8, verse 7, Paul taught, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We were hostile to God. We were his enemies. Verses 6 to 10, these same verses also reveal the remedy for our weakness, we are shown what God did to accomplish our reconciliation through Christ. We, see, we saw our condition apart from Christ, and now we see what God did to accomplish our reconciliation through Christ. In these verses, we are told what it took for Jesus to save us, and thus reconciling us to himself. From weakness through weakness to reconciliation. Uh, first, our salvation, our reconciliation required death. Verse 6 says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23 reveals that the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. If we received what we deserved, what we've earned, because of sin, our wages, then we would receive death. In Ezekiel, we are told that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and so Jesus took our death for us. He died in place of the wicked. Verse 10 says, For while we were enemies... For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Jesus, in suffering the death we deserve, conquered death, and so by his resurrection gives us the gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6. Now, second, our reconciliation not only required death, but it demanded love. Verses 7 and 8 explain, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
And in the ancient Greek world and Greek culture, there was the thought that, well, a righteous or good person, yeah, you might give your life for that person, but it was pretty rare to do. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing lovely or attractive about us that would compel God to love us. God's love does not originate with us that we were somehow lovable. It originates in God himself because God is love. You'll find that in 1 John 4, 8. In 1 John 4, 10, it teaches, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And third, we are told that our salvation required a blood sacrifice. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Hebrews 9.22 reveals that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus died during the feast of Passover, which commemorated how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And a lamb was sacrificed and its blood smeared on the doorposts of the house. And because of the blood of the lamb, God passed over the houses marked by blood to save those under the blood. And everywhere else, the firstborn in every household died. But those households marked by the blood, God passed over them. And for us, We are saved by the blood of Christ. Jesus is called our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And so our reconciliation through Jesus Christ required his death, his incomparable love, and the shedding of his blood. All were necessary for us to be reconciled. And because of what God has done for us through Jesus, we are promised the many blessings of our standing in Christ, our standing in Christ. Let's look at those. First, we have peace with God. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer God's enemies. We have been reconciled to him. There is no longer conflict between us. In classical Greek, To be reconciled meant the exchange of hostility, anger, or war for friendship, love, or peace. The exchange of hostility, anger, or war for friendship, love, and peace. Well, instead of hostility toward God, we are brought into this loving relationship of friendship with him. Instead of being under the wrath or anger of God, we experience peace with him which is, of course, the absence not only of hostility, but the absence of anxiety and fear, as we're told in John 14, 27. In the King County Jail, I visit many inmates who have been estranged from their families because of all the things that they have done. 
perhaps it's a horrible addiction, uh, uh, other things that, that, they have, uh, that they have done that have completely alienated their families from them. I met one man, and over the course, uh, I met with one man over the course of more than three years while he was in the King County Jail, praying that he would be able to be reconciled to his two children, who at that point, when we began praying, were in, uh, in high school, his daughter uh, graduated from high school during that time and, uh, you know, became an adult. Uh, at first, his children would not even speak with him. He, they wouldn't take his phone calls. Um, he was able to call their mother and talk with her, but the children wouldn't talk. But over a period of time and week after week as we prayed together, he was able to build a close relationship with his daughter. She, was, she let him in. And, and not only was he able to communicate with her and, and uh, have some good discussions, she began to come into the jail and visit with him in the jail, something he never expected to do. Um, and she was looking forward to his release. She said, Daddy, I want you to make some of that. He happened to be a Vietnamese uh, person of Vietnamese descent and I want you to make some of that good food, Vietnamese food for me that you can do. They were reconciled. Now, uh, so we have been reconciled with God uh, through uh, having peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, second, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've gained access. Now, access here means uh, privilege of, a por- of approach to a person of high rank. Now, just for an example, if whoever, I don't care who's the president here to make this example worthy, it, it just says if you were to try to go to the White House and, and walk into the Oval Office to see the president, you would be denied access and you probably end up in jail yourself. Now, if you had an invitation that invited you to a special ceremony at the White House, you would go there and be treated with honor and brought right into the uh, Oval Office to meet with the president. You'd have access. And that's the kind of picture that Paul wants us to have in our mind. We have direct access to God. And because of that, we are able to stand before God, standing in grace. We have access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. One of my favorite stories as a pastor, um, I, had, um, I had a young man that got arrested in my front yard one evening. And it's a rather longer story, but uh, the short of it is uh, he was arrested. And I, I went the next day to our city jail uh, to see if I could visit with him. And uh, I went to the front desk, and uh, the young officer there, uh, uh, you know, asked me questions and then asked me the same questions over again, and and then proceeded to ask me the same questions a third time. And I looked at him, and I said, what part of what I'm saying don't you understand? And he said to me, well, if you don't like the way I'm I'm conducting my, uh, my job, you can go talk to my sergeant. And I said, well, I don't know your sergeant. But is Chief Kaufman in? 
And he said, you mean Assistant Chief of Police Kaufman? I said, well, Acting Chief of Police Kaufman, which is the position he had at that time. And he kind of pointed toward the stairs, and I said, don't bother, I know where I'm going. And so I walk in, I go up the stairs and walk in to Chief Kaufman's office, and he looks at me and he says, Tim, what's wrong? And I said, Herb, I've had the worst, <laughs> I had... I had the worst encounter with your front desk. I'm trying to go in to see this young man that got arrested in front of my house, and I told him his name, and, and, uh, and he said, okay, follow me. Uh, took me down a private elevator, gave me access, <laughs> direct access. It was who I knew uh, because um, uh, Herb Kaufman happened to be the president of another Lutheran congregation, a sister congregation to us, in that town, and uh, knew him very well. I had just been up to the uh, city hall doing a service for those officers slain in duty uh, in the, the just the week before. You know, I had that relationship, and I had that access to the uh, jail through him. And that's the kind of access that that uh, is being talked about here by Paul. This access that we have. Um, let me find out where we're going here. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses this word access in Ephesians 2.8 regarding Jews and Gentiles, for through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And then in Ephesians 3.10, he says, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Well, that's a lot like Hebrews 4.16, it says, uh, for we have, uh, uh, in, in Hebrews uh, 4.16, we're given this invitation, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because we can come with confidence to the Father through the blood of Jesus, we have access to God's grace in which we now stand. We stand in grace. That is, we have favor in God's sight. It means standing before or in the very presence of God. Jude affirms this in the Bible. Jesus Christ is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's grace. We stand in grace. The word used for stand carries the idea of permanence, of standing firm and immovable. And so Peter taught in 1 Peter 5.12, I have written you briefly exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. We stand uh, with a sense of permanence and, um, and strength because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This standing with God in Christ is for the here and now. But our reconciliation also gives us an eternal hope in heaven. We stand in grace now, but we have that uh, because of grace, we have our, an eternal hope in heaven. Now, biblical hope is the confident assurance that God will fulfill what he has promised, that he promised to give us eternal life in Jesus. And because of this hope, we have joy. We are told in verse 2 that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 11 also speaks 
of the joy of salvation. It says more than that. We also rejoice. We have joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus said in, in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so because of that hope in heaven, we have joy now and for eternity. Paul teaches that we can even rejoice in our sufferings. You know, when we read that, we kind of pause and say, what do you mean, rejoice in our sufferings? Verses 3 and 4 teach not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We can rejoice in our sufferings because of the, out, the outcome of our suffering here and now is hope. Our suffering in Christ produces a chain reaction that causes the believer to grow in spiritual maturity and in doing so, in growing in that spiritual maturity, we lean ever harder on our hope in heaven. I love the quote by Johnny Erickson Tata. I've mentioned her before, who, as you probably know, became a quadriplegic at age 17 in a diving accident. Uh, but she writes, I've learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on Jesus. And the more we lean on Jesus, the stronger we discover him to be. And so we rejoice in our suffering because God leads us through suffering to hope. And it says that hope does not disappoint us. Verse 5 continues, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is our down payment of this hope of heaven. We have God's Spirit, literally his presence with us. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'll come to you. And he, he comes to us. He's with us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us now that we will never despair, so that we will never despair of being in his presence for eternity. We have the down payment of that right now. And the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. Um, not only did God demonstrate indescribable love toward us when Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us, but now having been reconciled, God pours out his love into believers' hearts through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christian author and writer, uh, Pastor John MacArthur, gives this insight. Poured out refers to lavish outpouring to the point of overflowing. Our Heavenly Father does not proffer his love in measured drops, but in immeasurable torrents. I love that word picture. It's not like he gets out a little eyedropper here and, and drops, gives us a few drops of his love, but he speaks of it as an immeasurable torrent, a river of his delights. Uh, John MacArthur goes on to say this, Jesus said, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he's speaking of the spirit here. 
those rivers of blessing can flow out of believers only because of the divine rivers of blessing, including the blessing of his divine love that God has poured into them. God just pours into us his love through his Holy Spirit. Now, there is, there is so much richness in all these verses. I, I can hardly begin to describe all the blessings we have in our standing in Christ, in his grace. Um, I've hardly scratched the surface of all that we possess because we have been reconciled through Jesus Christ. What begins in weakness ends in reconciliation and in great through reconciliation in great blessing. When we were weak, ungodly sinners in rebellion against God and therefore God's enemies, our Lord by his great love died for us, shedding his blood as a sacrifice for our sin and rebellion. And the result of our reconciliation is peace with God and access to God's throne of grace we are made put in right standing with God. And we have the hope of heaven. And with that hope, we have inexpressible joy, joy in our relationship with God, joy even in our sufferings because of the spiritual benefit that we receive even in suffering. And as icing on the cake, we have God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. All this, all of this, and so much more because we have been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, lead me in your truth through weakness to reconciliation and all the blessings God pours out because of that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. We were weak. We were helpless. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. And Father, if there's anyone listening to my voice today, hearing this broadcast, Lord, we pray that they would recognize their own weakness and they would come to you and say, yes, I know that I cannot save myself. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive all of my sin. I believe he rose from the dead to give me the hope, the certainty of eternal life with him. And I ask him now to come into my heart and into my life to be my Savior and Lord. And as he now promises to live in me, I ask for the strength to live for him. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.